Welcome, everybody. Well, at least I'm excited to see you. That's right. Yeah, it's been a, a whirlwind. Uh, for Cheryl and I, we just got back from Panama and had an amazing time there being with uh, church leadership from all over the world. Every four years, the International Leadership Conference, they move around the globe to a different part of the world so that uh, the churches in that area, it becomes convenient to send their leadership uh, to that conference. And this year it was in Panama, and it was a really amazing experience to get with all those leaders, see how God's people are doing, uh, your comrades all over the world that are serving God and preaching the word. And so we, we cleared customs in Panama City. We got our luggage, walk out into the hallway looking for the disciples sign to get directed to the shuttle and ran into a close friend, Augustine Bethancourt, a Panamanian brother who we were with for years and years and years in Toronto. And, uh, you know, I could never understand his Spanish because Panamanians speak really fast. Uh, but we were good buddies in Toronto, and he's recently moved back home to Panama. And so we got to connect about his life. He's a faithful serving God in incredible, incredible ways. But that's just kind of one of many stories. When you get together, you reconnect. One of the first things I do is I look at people's name tags and say, last time we talked, you were in this church. Are you still in that city? Yes, no, we've moved. We're there. Here's what's going on. But I truly am married to a famous woman. Um, why, I was still dancing uh, to 80s music. In Ottumwa, Iowa, we didn't have members only jacket. We, in fact, we don't even know what members only is. So, yeah, you'll have to show me. But uh, she was serving God. And it was pretty cool because... Uh, she got to fellowship with a brother that said, I've been wanting to meet you. And Cheryl's like, why? It said, because you are the last original member of the Mexico City mission team that I've got a chance to meet. There were 13 disciples that went to Mexico City in 1987 to start a church there. And my wife, Cheryl Smith was one of them, and this brother was so fired up because that's his life, that's his ministries. Uh, there are now churches all over Mexico, Central and South America, from that seedling ministry of 13, most who spoke very little Spanish, uh, and now to see what God has done, the church in Mexico City has over 3,800 disciples, They've appointed elders. God is doing incredible things. And this brother was fired up to meet my wife because she was the last member of the mission team that he'd gotten a chance to meet and say thank you to. You know, the fact is, you have no idea what 31 years from now, something that you're doing, some way that God is using you, you might feel like it's insignificant, that it's just you know, hey, it's just a conversation with somebody in my neighborhood. 31 years from now, they may be tracking you down at a conference. And I heard, 
hey, I just want to say thank you because you're the one that had this talk. And here's what it's meant for my life. And so, you know, I'm going to share a few stories with you. But the title of the sermon today is What About Me? And it's it's not what you think it is. Um, but we're going to be talking about the Ethiopian eunuch. So turn over to Acts chapter 8. Now, just to give you a little uh, starter here, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus comes back, he's, he's resurrected, and before he goes off to heaven, he's talking with the disciples and he tells them, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then... The book of Acts just continues to let this unfold of the word going to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so but you get that kind of short outline of the book. And and so in Samaria, the word of God is preached and great things are happening. And it's really an incredible thing. And then we get to verse 26 and Philip was up in Samaria just preaching the word, watching people become Christians, and he was fired up. So that's where we pick it up in verse 26, and it says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So as he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candic, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. So the Bible records for us two directives that the the spirit, the one it says the angel of the Lord and then the spirit of the Lord. This is told Philip, hey. Get on down to that road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. That was a long journey away from where he was up in Samaria. But he said, I want you to go down to that road. Doesn't tell Philip why. Just says, you got you to go there. Uh, then he gets down to the road and he sees this chariot. And then the spirit says, hey, you got to go and you got to be next to it. Now, from there, the Spirit just kind of let the story unfold. So the Spirit's now got Philip close enough to the chariot that he can hear the eunuch reading. Well, Philip knew his Bible, so that's good. And he recognized what was being read as Isaiah the prophet. The Philip did not say initiate 
with him in conversation. You know, the, uh, the, the Spirit doesn't tell us everything to do. It just gets us started in the right direction to the point where we lock in to the plan and get on board and then we accomplish the rest of the mission. So the eunuch, the Bible said, had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. And then he's on his way home. It's a journey of hundreds of miles. It wouldn't take a day. You didn't hop on southwest. It was a lengthy journey. And so, you know, I don't know what you do after church. I don't know what your car ride home is like. I don't know how many of you open your Bible in the car on the way home and say, I'd like to do a really deep Bible study. I mean, church was great, but it wasn't quite enough. I have more questions. I want more answers. And so you're studying on the way home for days and weeks. Well, that's what the the eunuch was doing. Now, I want you to think for a moment about what his worship experience was like in Jerusalem. Well, we know he's God-fearing. Otherwise, you don't go to Jerusalem to worship. You don't own a copy of uh, the book of Isaiah unless it matters to you. Not everybody had access to scrolls. It was, it was a privilege. It was very expensive. Books of the Bible were handwritten. So the fact that he had that reflects a commitment. So he goes to Jerusalem. Well, what was his church life experience like? Well, he was a Gentile, so that carried with it restrictions. He was a eunuch, so that had even more restrictions. So while he got to go to Jerusalem, he did not actually get to go in and participate in any of the Jewish temple worship. So he makes this journey of hundreds of miles and has to kind of live on the outside of what's going on inside. And with that experience, then he looks to Isaiah. Well, let's turn over to Isaiah. And we're going to actually go to Isaiah 52 first. So Isaiah was written hundreds and hundreds of years Before Jesus came, it was written in a period of time where God's people, the Israelites, were in exile. They were in exile because punishment for their sin, their disobedience uh, to God. And so they were held in captivity by various groups. Started with the Assyrians. Jen Renstrom's people held God's people captive. We've forgiven Jen and the Assyrians for that. Um, But so... When Isaiah is written, they're in exile. Now, if you've ever been in exile, this is kind of like a permanent timeout. If you've ever been grounded from going to something you really wanted to go to, this is what you'd feel. And so for God's people, your identity as God's people was to be connected to what went on. Now you are physically taken away from all this. So life as you know it is miserable. Your identity has been changed. You know, we were the people 
of God. We, we were in Jerusalem and we're connected to the temple and the sacrifices and now we're, we're taken away. We can't connect with that anymore. Life had been rough for God's people. Well, in chapter 52, Isaiah says, Awake, awake, Zion, clothe yourselves with strength. Put on your garments of splendor, Jerusalem, the holy city. The uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust, rise up, sit enthroned, Jerusalem. And so he's kind of given way. Hey, life is going to change. Now, can you imagine being in exile and go, your time of exile is coming to an end. Man, we have been the butt end of all the jokes of all the people. Yeah, you guys claim to be God's people. Look at your life. You're not in Jerusalem. You guys are miserable. We're ruling over you. Oh, yeah, you said you're going to be blessed. Just look at your life. And now Isaiah says, hey, Put on your garments of splendor because life as you know it is going to change. A little bit later in verse 7, he says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. He's saying, Hey, How beautiful is that message? Life is going to change. It's going to be different for you. And then we get to chapter 53, and Reuben even referred to it, right? But but he's like, who's believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been saved? And they talk about this suffering servant. Now, what Isaiah is talking about there is the suffering of God's people, that you're no longer going to be in exile, and he's going to bring you back. Of course, what do we connect it with? Well, the suffering of his son, Jesus. So you got two things going on. Well, right as you think about that, I want you to go to Isaiah 56. So the eunuch is trying to figure out, hey, who's he talking about? And then we get to chapter 56 and listen to this. This is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand. And my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. And he goes on and talks more about this. You say, what was the message of Isaiah? He's like, God's doing something completely new. And not only is God's people going to be restored, it's going to be something totally new. Now, why do you think the eunuch was excited about reading this? Because he'd just gone to the temple to worship in Jerusalem, and he wanted to be a part of things. But he was an outsider. He loved God. He feared God. 
But he was not part of God's people. But Isaiah said, hey, there's going to be a time where the rules are going to change. There's going to be this whole new entity and the foreigners will not be excluded. And the eunuchs, you know what? You're going to get a place within my temple walls. So you go back to Acts 8. And he says, tell me, please, who's this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Say, what was the eunuch asking? Saying, hey, this this good news that Isaiah is talking about. Is that for me? Is what he talks about there, is, is this my opportunity? Is this my chance to become an insider, to be included, to be a part of something new? What was Philip's message? Oh, it was a profound yes. You know, so often when we hear the good news, what we initially think is the good news of my sins being forgiven. And that is good news. But that's only a part of the picture. You see, the eunuch actually wasn't even thinking about getting his sins forgiven. You know what he was thinking about? I want to be a part of what God is doing. And I love God. I've got a heart for God. And I make this journey, but I'm still on the outside. I want to be in the in crowd. I want to be in God's crowd. I don't like being on the outside. There was just a bigger picture in play. You know, it's kind of like if we were to encapsulate all the battles that have been fought for and in our nation... And we just said, you know what, this all happened so I can have freedom. You go, well, that's kind of sort of true, but that's really just a small version of the big picture, right? There's just so much more going on. What God is doing is massive. It's spectacular. And so when he asked the question to Philip, hey, what's he talking about? And Philip says, oh, let me tell you the good news about Jesus. And then you see his response. Here's water. What can prevent me? Say, why those words? Because he just gone to Jerusalem was prevented from being close to God. And now he's like, hey, it applies to me. The good news is for me. There's no walls anymore. And Philip baptizes him. Now the fact is for each one of us, we bring our walls and our barriers with us. Man, we we experience something really amazing in our fellowship. I actually had to write a paper for grad school doing a cultural assessment of the ministry that I lead here in Santa Clarita. And you may be surprised or not surprised, probably not surprised to know what I found out. But I looked at all the census data for the city of Santa Clarita and the backgrounds of white 
black, Asian, Latino, Korean, Filipino. And guess what we found out? Do you know the ethnic diversity of the fellowship in Santa Clarita is in every category within a percentage or two of the census data of Santa Clarita? Now you go, that's awesome. But you know what? That just reflects what's been told right here. It would be odd to live in a diverse community and walk in and have an all-white church or an all-black church or an all-Latino church or an all-Korean church. You know why? Because that's not the diversity within our community. If we had only young people and no old or only old and no young, if we had only wealthy and no poor or only poor and no wealthy, what would that say? You know, God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Remember when he, he brought him outside and he goes, see the stars? Once he said, count the grains of sand. He made a promise and he said, all nations are going to be blessed through you. See, what you and I have opportunity to be a part of and join, it's not a fork in the road. Oh, we were going in this way and now, now we have, you know, a fork in the road. It's a whole new road. It's a whole new way of living. It's a whole new way of functioning, of being, of experiencing life. See, that's what the eunuch was excited about. And so he says, what can stop me? Our fellowship is simply an outpost of what God is already doing. It's a testimony to the miraculous, to something unique, something totally different. When people come here, they should experience the whole new way, not something that's a little different, not a slight improvement. It should be a whole new way of thinking and living. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. So Paul is so excited about what this message brings to the table. And he says this. uh, Where do I want to pick it up? Verse 11, it says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then in chapter 2, he says this, Verse 11, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away 
have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups one. And then in verse 19, he says, Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And you start to see what Paul is saying and what our responsibility is. He goes, hey, the two are becoming one. Well, what's the two? The Israelites and the Gentiles. That God's bringing this mysterious thing together. But it's the same thing of what God is doing today. There's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It's like in Christ, there's equality. That It's a whole new way of being, of living and functioning. You know, one of the most amazing things at a, an international leadership conference is just the great news that you hear. You know, Mexico City, 3,800 disciples. Indonesia is, has the largest Muslim population in the world. We have more than 40 thriving congregations in a country that is 80 plus percent Muslim. It's incredible what God is doing there. We have five disciples in Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia. That's awesome. There's 380 campus disciples in Abidjan, the Ivory Coast. That's quite a campus ministry going in that church right there. You know, my wife has become the director of communications for the uh, Pacific Southwest family of churches. You know, if there's ever been a better gift set connection, um, I haven't seen it, but for my wife to be able to be designated as an official communicator is awesome. Um, she's, yeah, she's doing great. Getting the great news out from what God is doing in our neck of the woods is fantastic. Uh, one of the friends that she's got to meet, her name is Jessie. Jessie actually has her own TV show um, in uh, Beirut. Well, Jessie was sharing with her that just a week before we came to Panama, her husband was arrested because he leads a church. Now, I want you to imagine, wife, that your husband goes off to work to do whatever it is he does. And because he's a Christian, the word comes back, he's been arrested, is in jail. How are you feeling about the Christian faith now? But you'll be fired up to know he was released. I got to meet him. The church in Beirut is doing awesome. But I was talking with her husband And I asked him, I said, so what's life like over there? And he goes, some of our countries, he goes, they've passed anti-conversion laws. So that if somebody is Muslim and you say anything, like, would you like to read the Bible together? Would you like to come to church? Would you like to, you know, come to this event? 
You can be imprisoned on the spot. They said it's difficult. You know, we heard uh, one of the church leaders from the uh, Central American Conference share about just the difficulties going on in particular in Venezuela and Nicaragua. And he just talked for a moment about being able to go and visit the disciples in Nicaragua. And he goes, what they're going through right now is so horrendous. But he said, they're the most joyful ministry I've ever visited. They're in the midst of, of coups, of civil war, of unrest. But he said, when you meet with the church, you would actually think just the opposite is going on. Uh, the brother that I taught a class with, he's now in San Antonio, but he, he was in uh, the ministries of Africa for almost two decades. He goes, I've been shot at. I've been jailed uh, multiple times. I've been interrogated multiple times. He said, I've had bombs go off as I was walking to church. Um, he just went through this list and you're just sitting there going. That's incredible. And yet, partners in the gospel. And see, the, the good news of what God is creating is the truth for all nations. No matter what the circumstances are, God says, hey, there's going to be no exclusions. Everybody's going to get their place in the walls. We have a memorial for you. You're going to be included. You and all your failures and your list of the things you're ashamed of and all the things that you think about in your life where you want to be a part of something and you didn't make the team, you didn't get to go in that program, somebody else was overlooked, somebody else was chosen. God says, no, no, no. What I'm going to create is different. And I want you to come. I want you to join that. You see, that's, that's what we live. That's what we experience. And so when you make a decision to say Jesus is Lord, there's so much more that you're saying than just, I'm excited to have my sins forgiven. Say, sin's a problem. Sin prevents the new way of living. And don't you find that to be true? You know, all the good things of what God wants. Isn't it your sin that's what causes the problems with living out that way? It's not the theory of God's way that's the problem. And so, yeah, we had to get sin out of the way. Or we had no chance to live in this new realm. You say, what, what's, what's God doing now? You know, in the last four years, in our, in our fellowship, we've planted more than 100 brand new churches around the world. More than 100 in the last four years. It should be that way. By the way, I bring you greetings from the Russian brothers and sisters. I had so many of them. They love you and Santa Clarita. They're like... Tell Santa Clarita. 
We love you. Sergey, super love. Uh, thank you for encouraging Sergey. You know, when uh, he got to come to town in August uh, because he's close friends uh, with one of the uh, Russian UFC championship fighters. And the guy brought Sergey with him uh, to watch him fight at the Staples Center in L.A. So Sergey texted me and said, hey, I'm able to come to Santa Clarina. So the Russian fighter said, hey, I'm going to give you my, my Escalade and a GPS, and then you can go up to Santa Clarita. But he goes, we're in Los Angeles. Let's go to Hollywood. And Sergey's like, no, I'm going to Santa Clarita. And he's like, why do you want to go to Santa Clarita? And he goes, because that's where my friends are. It's actually funny. I don't know if you knew this, but Sergey um, stopped short on the hill and went to another church down the hill. He got close, but he didn't make it here. And so he walked around in there, didn't recognize anybody. And he's like, hey, where's Ron Hammer? (laughs) And they said, um, I think he's with the church down there. So then he made it all the way up the hill. And then Scott and Tara and Mike and Robin took him out for beef ribs, which if you know Sergey, that's like his absolute favorite meal, beef ribs. So thank you for encouraging uh, my friend Sergey. He loves you guys. But you hear what God is doing all around the world. And God's doing the same thing right here. As you look around in this room, this is what God's doing Through you. This is not, oh, hey, it's good Ron's back from Panama, so now he can start making things happen here in Santa Clarita. No, God is making things happen in Santa Clarita through the person in your chair. There's an excitement and a responsibility. You know, even our youngest brother, Blake Schneider from Grand Junction, Colorado. That's right. Man, he was fired up to be our brother in Christ. He, he was like that eunuch from Ethiopia. Hey, I'm ready. Uh, what, what's stopping me? I'm ready to go. Did you hear the scream he yelled out? He was fired up. Blake, it's up to you. You're, you're the kingdom of God here in Santa Clarita. By the way, cool fact, I was with Greg Moretzky in Dallas. Blake knows, Greg Moretzky's from Grand Junction. I didn't know that. I knew he was from Colorado. Blake knows some of Greg Moretzky's family in Grand Junction. So, you know, God just connects us all some way. Uh, Pretty cool. God's connecting through you. And I want to close over in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Starting in verse 11, get over there. Verse 11 to 15. It says, Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You recognize that quote? It comes from Isaiah. And what's the message? What's the gospel? What's the good news? It's a message that God's creating something new. It says, how beautiful are the feet of the people that bring that message. You say, who's that message to? It's to you. It's to me. God didn't bring us into his kingdom to sit around and just bask in the glory. That's a side benefit. No, we need need to be sending the message because we live in a hurting and divided world. How we live in here, it's not a fork in the road. Oh, it's something completely different. You see, there's a lot of people on their spiritual journey that said, well, I, I, I love God, but I still feel like an outsider. I'm not connecting. Say, who's, who's this good news for? Who's the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? And Philip told him the good news of Jesus. Jesus opens a new way, a new opportunity. Say, what's... What's the point of what all this means? It's this. The gospel is good news for me. And the gospel is good news for you. That's something that can be said for everyone in our workplace, in our class, in our neighborhood, and in our family. The good news is something that people need to hear. Go and be the messenger. It changed the eunuch's life forever. There's speculation that such a, a Christian presence and foundation in Ethiopia was begun solely by this eunuch. And some of the oldest Christian congregations are found there. You say, I have no idea what God is going to do through the good news. See, the Spirit told Philip, go south to the desert road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he got in the general area and he goes, hey, you need to run up next to that chariot. And I really believe God's Spirit is saying something to you. Hey, go here. Go get in the vicinity of your neighbor's. Go get in the vicinity of your classmates, of the team that your kids are a part of. Go get in the vicinity. Listen what's going on. Because there's a need for the good news to be preached. Be a messenger. The gospel is good news for me. The gospel is good news for you. You say, what about me? Well... You're included. It's something new. Let's go and be messengers 
that bring others into that same experience. I'm so proud of the church. Here in Santa Clarita, but all over the world, God's Spirit's moving, doing incredible, incredible things. Do you know what? We haven't finished until this message is preached to every corner of where we live and beyond. So let's take up that mantle to share the good news. Let's stand as we close in a final song.